Good morning, everybody. It's just about time for news with my dad. And now it's time for news with my son. And on the telephone, the master of ceremonies of our show, Jefferson Smith, enjoying the Oregon coast. Jadez, how you doing? Hey, Pop, I'm all right. How you doing? Well, I'm all right. It's uh, It cooled off this morning, which was nice after the last two days. You picked a really good time to go to the coast. <laughs> <laughs> it was partly luck, but not entirely luck. <laughs> it's, you know, late August is a good time. It's a good time. If people are building their lives around the Pacific Northwest, and Portland, Oregon, my advice is the following. First of all, you don't need to leave Oregon during the summer. Save up your more expensive vacation money for the wintertime and get yourself some sun between November and March. You know, go, even just go down PCH and head down to California for a little while. That's first piece of advice. Second, well, first piece of advice, uh, second piece of advice said, stay in Oregon for the summer. Third piece of advice is get yourself to the coast of the mountains during August, because the odds that it's going to get hot during August, they exist. Absolutely. Well, go ahead. Take it away. Well, I'll just say this is a show we talk about the news. We try to talk about the important stuff. Sometimes we talk about the unimportant stuff. When it's unimportant, we try to say so. We take turns. Dad typically takes the first turn. It more and more takes this first couple of turns. Dad, I have a shout out. I have two. First, I want to shout out for Eric Whiteacre, who is a composer, but who over the last few years has put together some remarkable online choruses. And he has now produced a chorus singing his song, Sing Gently, of 17,582 people from 129 countries singing together online that song. And it is absolutely magnificent. And if you want to hear it, go just Google Eric Whiteacre Sing Gently. It is worth the four minutes. And then I want to shout out for Damian Lillard. Damian Lillard, our very own superstar, who was called a superstar in this morning's Guardian as the superstar we deserve, not just as a basketball player, but as a human being. The leadership he showed for the Blavers, obviously, with 154 points in three games. But the leadership that he's showing for this community, we're lucky to have him. Yeah, Dad, it's fun to have the Blazers in the playoffs. Looking forward to matching up against the Los Angeles Lakers. Uh, we will. This is not typically a sports show, but I imagine we will allow ourselves some brief sports discussion about the Blazers and Lakers matchup. With you know a lot of people not being able to do the normal things they might do or the fun things they might do in the summer. At least there is some playoff basketball, and for Blazer fans, that's a, that's some good news. I want to acknowledge. I got, I, oh, go ahead. Go ahead. I want to acknowledge the passing of Robert Ryland, who was the first black tennis pro. He's 100 years old. He passed away. 
and recognize that this last week is the 50th anniversary of Vortex and the 75th anniversary of the atomic bombs dropped on Japan. One good one, one bad one. Yeah, the Oregon Vortex, the big concert that was governmentally sanctioned, uh, there had been talk of doing another Vortex uh, this summer. And in fact, I'd started to engage in a couple of those conversations, uh, but obviously not, uh, obviously plans significantly changed. For people who want to know where the games are, the playoffs do start today for half the teams. <coughs> Excuse me. Uh, the uh, But for us, the playoffs start tomorrow evening, 6 p.m. is the game. But then i got I got to share with you a couple of wacky things. I hope wacky is the right word. But a couple of things that happened to me while I was driving my truck, okay, the last over – not I guess the last two days <coughs> – would have been uh, would have been Friday night, and then Saturday day. No, or was it Sunday day? No, Saturday day. All right. So these are two crazy things. Neither neither I, neither of these have happened to me ever in my lifetime. I've ever been in this circumstance driving a car. Now I've had some interesting car experiences, including you know when I picked that dude up who looked like he was praying, looked like instead he was, what he was doing is contemplating suicide in the middle of 84. I'm saying I-84 has been eventful, okay? I picked up multiple people uh, who have been, as you have, who have been in dire straits. And lots of car experience in our lives. You would, you would acknowledge that we've had lots of car experiences, yes? Yes. Okay. I'm going to tell you two experiences. I, I, I once calculated that I had picked up over 3,000 hitchhikers. Holy mackerel. And you've lived to tell the tale three thousand times. So there, we've had some, we've had some adventures, we've had some experiences on the road. I'm going to guess one of these experiences you may have had. I don't think you've had the other. And both of these happened to me in back-to-back days, just the end of the last week. Okay, and I saved them up on air. I saved them up to tell you the story on air to get your honest, genuine reaction. Okay. So the first one was I'm pretty sure. It was, okay. Did you hear about the fire that was on the side of I-84? Are you talking up the gorge? No, right here, like on 72nd. No. <clears throat> I'm driving down, and I've passed, you know, 33rd and 39th, right? I'm heading east from, you know, downtown area towards, you know, where, where my place is. And, and, I, and I look up ahead of me, and it looks like something brighter than I've ever seen at that. Uh, it was much larger than a sun or a moon. It was, you know, it was nighttime. And, I, and I, as I approach, I realized the entire embankment, okay, uh, was bigger than the width of a, of a, it was probably about the width, probably about the width of a, of a block, okay, like one block long. It's just a blaze. It's just on fire the, right there. Just, on, just on the, the grass? Just to the, just to the north of I-84. The whole thing is on fire. And I, and the, and the firefighters aren't there. Both these circumstances, like, I see the aftermath of a bunch of stuff. Right, we've all seen, we've all been like caught in traffic or something crazy happened up front, right? But this, I see this thing before, like it, traffic is only now starting to slow down, only starting to shut down. And the whole, I, I don't know if it, I don't know if it made any news other than uh, you know other than X-ray news right now. But yeah, there was a, and it, it's an area where there's obviously very obviously but very often a lot of homeless encampments. So that my thought, Katie's thought was, well, maybe it was. 
uh, you know, maybe it was a, uh, somebody's fire, maybe it was maybe somebody was smoking something on the side of the road and caught some of the brush, but all the brush was just on fire. Huge blaze right on the side of 84 Pop. That was number one. That wasn't the biggest one. That was number one, though. Any reactions to number one? Did you, did you call in a report? Oh, yes. Oh, yes. Although I realized that I was violating. In both these circumstances, I called the report. I've been a frequent flyer on, to 911 over these past several days. And by that, I mean twice. And, but I, uh, and, and in this circumstance, I wasn't the first one to call because they said, are you calling about the fire at I-84? And I said, yes. And they said, oh, yes, uh, uh, fire trucks are on their way. All right. So legitimate, legitimate fire. All right. Second thing, I have, after all I've been talking about, all, you know, transforming public safety, right? I'm like reminded, you know, like two public safety incidents. I said, this one's crazier. And I've talked to you since this happened. And, uh, and I actually did call you right after it happened. You didn't answer, and I didn't call back. I was driving on uh, on Gleason, which apparently the family who it's named after pronounces their last name Gleason. So we, almost every Portlander might, in fact, be mispronouncing the name of the street Gleason and have been doing so for decades. But anyway, so I'm on Gleason or Gleason, all right, not to get back into the gerrymander gerrymander discussion. I'm heading... West. I'm heading west, all right, and from you know, you know, my place in the, in the hundred and teens down to uh, down to, towards uh, the two hundred five on ramp, okay. And I and I'm just getting to and that's about ninety seven, and I'm and I'm just getting there, and I hear a pop, and I look over to my left. And there's a dude with. Pointing, oh, I, I can't. I can't be sure. I saw no face. I saw no face. I, I, I already made an assumption here. A human being with their arm out of the car, of the passenger side, the back seat passenger side, the car coming towards me. Not in the same lane, of course, because they're on, you know, on the other. They're they're coming. They're coming eastbound on on Gleason on Gleason. All right, arm outstretched with a handgun in it. Fires. Pointing, pointing behind them, fires five or six shots, pop, 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 and maybe pop, in the direction roughly behind them, and, at, and the last shot fired as they're passing me. Like, there's a, a gunshot fired 27 feet away, in anger, 27 feet away from me, and, and I am watching. And they're apparently shooting at somebody behind them? Shooting at somebody behind them. As, as if they were being chased. Exactly, as if they're being chased, or that, yeah. And uh, and I uh, and lucky, I was just glad, you know, they didn't. And, and I real, and I and I had a couple inklings. One inkling was, well, should I engage in a dangerous maneuver and make sure I get their license plate and that would make them out of the car, etc. But I was pulling out of the freeway, so I just continued rather than you know. Adding adding a traffic uh, crash to the to the shooting incident, I just continued onto the freeway, hit you know, bared, bared right and got on the got on the on ramp, uh, and I uh, and and yet called nine one one, but that was and this is you know ten blocks just ten blocks east of where the shooting just ten blocks east where Mr. Ford was killed and and then where the hundred and fifty shots were fired. Our friend friend of the show, Kyle Curtis. Who's, who's helped as a show producer uh, uh, and, and produces Democracy and Nerd now. Uh, he actually lives in the building where the 150 shots were fired. He heard them all. Uh, he was home when it happened. 
And so this is just 10 blocks east of there. Anyway, and I pull off, and, we got, and, and I just had to share it with you and with our, uh, our dearly appreciated uh, X-ray and radio audience uh, that, uh, that a couple of wacky experiences that I had in my car just last couple of days. Did you, did you get an, an, any idea at who he was shooting at? I, did, I would have had to, no, bottom line is no. Uh, I, I tried to, you know, sort of crane my neck and see, you know, see it was there, but it was, it was not obvious. Later on, because we were, this was just when we were, I was dropping the stuff off so we could have, head out to the beach, and just as I, uh, and so Katie ended up passing the scene after I had, you know, maybe 20 minutes later, uh, maybe a little, yeah, about 20 minutes later, I think, uh, and, uh, and, you know, police had arrived, etc. Uh, and, and apparently nobody had been hit. I mean, the good news is, like, I don't know if it's good or bad news. I guess it's good news. The uh, your accuracy of shooting at speed out of a car, particularly at anything else that might be moving, you know, it's 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 a hard thing to hit something. So fortunately, nobody was, as far as we can tell, nobody was was injured, uh, and or at least that Katie could find. And Katie did talk to uh, talk to officers at the scene. When she was there, just to say, oh, my son, my my, uh, my 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 husband saw something. Do you need, do you need anything? Uh, you know, and and I didn't have, you know, I wasn't the best of witnesses, but I, uh, but I, I of course had her recalled. Anyway, Dad, that's my crazy stories. We can move on to the craziness that's happening in the world if you'd like, but I at least wanted to share those. I at least wanted to share those stories. Well, before we dive into what legitimately could be called news, because news supposedly is something recent. We, because we were off last week, we did not have a chance to comment on the nomination of Kamala Harris for the Veep. But I win the bet. But I just want, I, I, I have an observation that I want to make. The thing that has impressed me the most and really impresses me about Joe Biden is the discipline and the procedure that he enforced in making that selection. The discipline in the no leaks, the, the nearest thing to a leak was Senator Dodd, who, who had something critical to say about Kamala a couple of weeks ago and then was excoriated for it, but that was the only one. And the whole process that he went through if he runs the government the way he ran that process, it's going to be run one heck of a lot better than it has been the last four years. And I just also... I, uh, uh, and, we uh, didn't have a chance to debrief the Kamala Harris pick. Uh, it was a... Uh, but we should acknowledge... I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to spike the ball here for a second, Dad. You and I each made real predictions that we were going to hold ourselves... And she was your prediction. And I was confident. I was confident, and I announced it. I, I did not pick correctly who was going to win the 2016 presidential election, at least who was going to end up in the White House. I'll set aside whether or not I predicted correctly who actually had the most uh, votes cast for them, even in certain states. But I, uh, uh, but I, I had picked Kamala Harris, and afterwards it really did just feel obvious. And here's why. Uh, I mean, I'd get, I've given my, I think, my uh, process of elimination about why I thought it was going to be 
her, right? It couldn't be Elizabeth Warren because they're not going to give up the U.S. Senate seat. And, I, and, and I, it was hard for me to imagine it not being, uh, not being a black woman. And the big advantage, one of the big advantages of Kamala Harris, uh, is that so that, that the Democratic electorate knows who she is and is ready to vote for her. That's a big, big deal. Had it been, I think your final prediction was Val Demings, and, and had it been Val Demings, what we'd be doing right now is educating everybody about who Val, Val Demings is. Now, not everybody, there'll be some people who have been watching, right, in her congressional district in Florida, and some people who you know, are MSNBC addicts, or some people who know, uh, but there'd be a, just a big effort in educating people, you know, and I'm not equating Val Demings with Sarah Palin by any means, but, you know, when McCain picked Sarah Palin, there's a huge education level. Oh, here, this is who Sarah Palin is. Okay, that was what the discussion was. Kamala Harris has been communicating for herself who she is during the Democratic primary at different times, looking like she might, in fact, be, uh, might emerge as one of the front runners in that campaign. Uh, it was a formidable candidate for the U.S. presidency. And that does provide, I don't know, being a candidate for president isn't a precur, isn't a requirement of being a vice presidential candidate, but I just think, given already there's so many things, it just, it, it, people already know. And here's why I think it matters more this year, because the, the argument to elect Joe Biden in swing states, I think is going to be very similar to what you just said. Let's just have, let's just have a president who runs the United States, doesn't tear down democracy, doesn't like say there isn't a pandemic when there is a pandemic. Like let's just let's just get back to some degree of competence and making decisions that make sense. And picking Kamala Harris, you know, it, it was a was a decision that feels like it makes sense. And and for people who wanted somebody, you know, who wanted the, you know, Alexander Ocasio Cortez, some number of years older. For people who wanted, uh, you know, I, I, there's any number of critiques that can be uh, levied again, you know, at any number of uh, any number of candidates, but the any number of potential picks. But I think for so many people, and I'll use my wife again as an example, it, it was just a sense of, oh, good. In fact, for Katie, I mean, she's a big Kamala Harris fan, so she was thrilled. Uh, but for others, okay, that makes sense. Let's move on to the other to the question. Do you have any other reflections on the vice presidential pick? No, but I think we should acknowledge that it's actually going to become official in the next four days as the Democrats gather online for their nominating convention. And I want to caution folks to remember that uh, in my journal four years ago, Three days ago, I wrote, Hillary Clinton has a 10% lead on Donald Trump. So don't, don't take your foot off the gas. Well, and CNN poll, Dad, uh, let's get into this. Uh, CNN poll just came out with, uh, with the lead tightening. It's one poll, but with, with Joe Biden's lead tightening, and in uh, 15 in 15 swing states, and it was you know what I think 50 to 40, uh, 50 to 46 in that poll, which is within the margin of error. Biden's still leading, but very but close. And in swing states, uh, in 15 swing states, uh, within 
49-48. Very, very, with Biden ahead by like one, obviously within the margin of error. So it, 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 this is close. This is no one's. The the good news I do think there is a uh, is that Donald Trump. It does appear to me has a pretty hard ceiling. I think that Donald Donald Trump. There now there's now been over fifty percent of people disapproving of this guy for years, and I think that that I think that those people aren't changing their mind. But he also has an extraordinarily hard floor. Uh, he's got right now. The most recent uh, YouGov approval uh, in YouGov approval poll is uh, is 42 percent, uh, and it seems it appears that his floor doesn't get much below that 42, 43 percent. So the so the uh, you know the Trump strategies we've known for a long time. So first of all, I just want to validate what you had to say. Anybody who thinks this is not an election, this is an election. Anybody think it was easy to beat an incumbent president? You haven't been paying attention to the fact that nearly every incumbent president who runs for election wins. Uh, where it stands, and, and it's also interesting, if you look at his, uh, his approval at this stage, his approval at this stage is uh, worse than presidents, recent presidents who've been reelected, uh, including Clinton, including Ronald Reagan, it's, at work, including Barack Obama. It's worse than those cats. But it's better than presidents who didn't get reelected, uh, like Jimmy Carter and George Bush the Elder. They were both down in the 30s. So it's uh, so right now, I think it's still fair to say that Donald Trump is behind, but he is not behind the degree that uh, he's not behind the degree that presidents who didn't get reelected were behind. So this is you're not you're not just uh, whistling foolishness. Uh, this is an, an honest to goodness challenging election. And we know that the president's strategy is to suppress the vote, uh, is to uh, suppress the vote through uh, untold numbers of attacks and uh, and social media manipulation done by whatever foreign power. We know a foreign power will be most engaged in that. And sabotaging Uh, the post office. Which is the next thing we got to talk about. Sabotaging the post office, try to scare people from voting by mail if if he can't just keep people from being able to do it. Keep it close enough in those swing states so then he can, and he just said the other day, oh, well, you know, it might be months or years before we could confirm the election results uh, in order to, you know, if he can, if he can fight to not a tie, if he can fight to not a tie, but if he can fight to a, to a close loss, uh, then who knows what hijinks may ensue. So it's, uh, we know that this strategy has been a strategy for a long time. See, so yeah, when you say, that, that people, people, there are no laurels here upon which to be rested. Uh, you are being wise in my judgment. Which reminds me to ask, this is something I should have looked up myself, but uh, the, the R's are talking about the risk of it being thrown to the House to decide who the president was. And something, the, there is a clear Democratic majority in the House, but... Is there a majority of the states that have a Democratic majority? And I don't know the answer to that, but the reason that is significant is that the vote in the House is not per member, it is per state. And so if you had, we know that there's a heavy majority of Democrats in California, a majority in New York, and I'm just wondering if, if the R's have a majority of state 
delegations with a with a, an R majority, they should be delighted to have it thrown into the House. Well, let, okay, Dad. Let, let's get this. Let's get this straight. So, if it doesn't, uh, under what circumstances it go? Does it go to the House? It go if the if the electoral college has not made a decision by the deadline. And and what you're saying is each and and when the House votes, you're saying the House members are not their conscience. The House members have to follow what their each of their states says. No, 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 no. What. The, the each each house's delegation votes for who they want, and so if uh, a a state in which the there are more Democrats in representatives and Republicans, they are going to vote for Biden, and a state where the Republicans have more votes than the Democrats, they're going to vote for Trump, and if there are more states with a Republican majority. The Republicans should be delighted to have it go to the House. I, I'm still confused. And we don't have to talk about the remainder of the show. I can go and read it. But maybe you can help resolve my confusion. The vote to win is just the vote for of the representatives, or do you carry a certain number? Of, do you carry some amount of power based on what state you're from? No, you do not carry power. Rhode Island and Wyoming count just as much as California and New York. I'm even more confused now. What uh, if I if 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 Trump is up for that vote, and and Justin Amash casts the vote, does he have to win? Does he just need to win? Uh, does Donald Trump just have to win one more vote out of the 435 members no, of the U.S. House? No, 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 no. This is what listen, I'm trying listen, to understand. Listen carefully. The vote ultimately is there are 50 votes. Five zero votes, and those fifty votes are decided by each state's delegation, deciding who their state will vote for. Got it. Got it. It was the fifty that I didn't that I was trying to figure out. All right. Well, let's look at who's in the house right now. We'll probably do this during a break. Not to go further on that, but there was. We had just said I said there was something we needed to talk about, and then we didn't talk about it. What was the thing we needed to talk about? That I. That we didn't talk about the post office. Do you want to go first? It says, yeah, it, it's got a text. And isn't the vote done by state legislative delegations? One vote per state. The state uh, vote comes from the state legislative delegation. We're gonna have to get to the bottom of this because that uh, it I does not quiz, come from the state legislature. It comes from the state congressional delegation. That's something the Constitution is very clear on. All right. So we will. I, I, I'm going to read more up on it. I started reading. I started reading it in the break. But I ended up looking. I was going to try to do a quick count of which state uh, delegations uh, were controlled, but I could only get really through California. Arizona was harder to, because it's five to four uh, Democrats. Uh, there are five Democrats from Arizona and four Republicans from Arizona. And so I had actually counted. I realized, oh, at this rate, I'm not going to be able to count up uh, 50 states during this short break because we have very short breaks. But anyway, Dad, the post office. What the heck's going on with the post office? you got to explain a little bit what's happening with the post office. They're reconvening the House or consider reconvening the House to address the postal crisis. Vote-by-mail services, of course, will help people participate without risking exposure to potentially deadly virus. But the White House opposes mail-in voting. 
uh, based on the desire to keep people from voting or based on unsubstantiated, disproven claims that will increase voter fraud. There have been a series of changes in postal leadership, a series of changes in policy that's causing delays. There's making threats about the effectiveness of mail-in voting. And now House Speaker Pelosi is considering reconvening the House to deal with the crisis at the post office. There have been images of post, uh, 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 post office boxes being moved around or maybe just removed. There's also will be a congressional hearing on Monday where uh, is it, I'm not, Louis or Lewis DeJoy, uh, the Postmaster General, and Robert Duncan, the chairman of the Postal Service Board of Governors, will testify. Both, uh, both, of, whom, both of whom are DDT satraps and who, and particularly DeJoy, his experience with the post office is 20 years as a lobbyist f- for a company and, and, a, and a significant stockholder of a company that competes with the post office and therefore has been, been fighting the post be office. Here, here's my here's my post office take that I'll offer. Okay, remember the remember the old line, you know, don't waste a crisis. So if you are uh, not just a not just a Trump Confederate, if you're somebody who's been part of the privatization game for a long time, you've been part of the Washington corporate lobby game for a long time, then somebody who's been part of the Republican apparatchik uh, apparatus. For a long time, you could see this as your moment. Uh, there has been criticism. There has been a desire to privatize the post office for a long time, and it ain't merit based. It ain't because the post office does a bad job. And here's just a couple examples. When the, here's my favorite one: U.S. Gemological Survey. When they when they send gems, when they send diamonds and rubies and emeralds and to get from one place to another, what do they use? Plain paper U.S. mail. Plain paper U.S. mail to ship gems because it is the most reliable that there is and probably because people don't think they ought to steal just some plain paper uh, plain paper envelope. They couldn't assume there'd possibly be gems inside. That it is a remarkable, remarkable feat. If you look at how much it costs you to ship something, shipping through the Postal Service saves you a whole bunch of money compared to the other places. It is, it, it, and it's not based on merit. And it also helped, to me, it is one of my favorite, and I don't yet have a rhetorical architecture yet, but it is conceptually one of my favorite political arguments there is to expose the hypocrisy of so much of the political debate over the last 40 years. Because so much of what we hear is, oh, well, government, so much you hear from what has emerged as the Donald Trump movement are a couple arguments. Here's two of them, maybe even the two. One is, oh, we shouldn't do stuff with government because government sucks. One of my very favorite examples is the post office is amazing. They put like 50 cents on something. It goes exactly from my house to exactly some other place. Ain't ever get lost. It's amazing. Okay. The other argument is, well, we, it, it, I, that I've been hearing for decades since I've been paying attention was, oh, uh, we of the, we of the Trump Spilskins, we are in favor of the U.S. Constitution. We want to support what is good what what the constitution is uh what the constitution is for and we just don't like all this stuff that goes beyond the constitution well to be clear postal service is in the constitution so when the right-wing movement is going after the postal service 
what they are demonstrating is they're not trying to advocate for effectiveness, and they're not trying to advocate for some government that's limited to its functions based in the Constitution. All they're trying to do is privatize stuff and give stuff over to, uh, to corporate lobbyists who see a big profit opportunity if all of a sudden UPS and FedEx and DHL and whoever and maybe Amazon themselves can have their own service not having to compete with the post office. That's what's really been going on for a long time. And now they're using this as an opportunity. Trump sees the opportunity to weaken the post office in order to try to strengthen his, uh, his chance at reelection. Uh, but what's also going on here uh, in my mind is a need to remember the importance to support the Postal Service generally. And by the way, the Postal Internet should be run by the Postal Service. All right, go on. And the underlying principle that we need to, that people need to recognize that you should ask, are there any institutions or organizations mentioned in the Constitution that are really important to the maintenance of a functioning society. And I have to say that the post office, excuse me, the post office is one of those institutions that is clearly, clearly fundamentally necessary to a modern functioning society. And so the big mistake that was made years ago to start looking at the post office as a business rather than as a service then allows Trump and his myrmidons to say, well, see, it's not succeeding as a business and therefore, yeah, we really ought to get rid of it because it could be run as a business privately better. It is a service. Nobody talks about the army as being a business. Nobody talks as the Navy as being a business. We recognize that those are institutions that are fundamentally necessary at some level, I believe way below the level we're spending on them now, but nonetheless at some level for preserving our democracy, preserving the United States as an entity and as a place where freedom can be found and where opportunity can be found. Nobody talks about those as a business because they are a service. The post office is a service. And I have to say, it is fundamentally more important in dollars than the next 10 F-35s. They're going to cost about what the post office needs to meet its obligation right now. Well, Dad, the uh, United States has conducted its largest ever seizure of oil from ocean tankers. We caught this on Friday. The United States sir, uh, seized, excuse me, more than 1.1 million barrels of oil headed to Venezuela. Uh, they uh, officials said the tankers were boarded with a warrant without force. Uh, the trade would have violated sanctions levied by Trump against Iran and Venezuela. Uh, as a result, both nations have been largely shut out of the worldwide oil trade. Uh, prosecutors say that profits from the National Iranian Oil Company have helped fund units that support Shiite militias. Iran denies any connection to the seized oil. Justice Department has not announced what it's going to do with the oil or the money from the oil. 
traditionally that, that money goes in a government fund to support victims of state-sponsored terrorism. you have any reflections on this? Well, it's not entirely clear to me who, like, uh, exactly who was behind the oil shipment, but I don't know if you have other information or comment. Well, the, the willingness of this administration to push the limits, I think, often beyond international law, demonstrates that ultimately international law depends on who, who has the biggest stick. And, and immediately relevant to this is that DDT, Pompeo, Secretary of State, went to the Security Council last week wanting them to endorse the enforcement of embargoes on sales of arms to Iran, which were provided for in the Iran Treaty, which we have rejected, going making the ridiculous argument that we have re rejected this treaty, but we can still hold Iran to it. And they got the Dominican Republic was the only other member of the 15-member Security Council who voted in favor of that resolution. If there was ever a better example of the disaster that DDT has led us into in the area of international cooperation, I don't know what it might be. Well, Dad, any, I think we should probably get to some state and local news. Well, unless you have other election news. Do you have any other election news? No, I don't have another election news. I have a bunch of, uh, I've got so much news. And here we are, 17 minutes left with, maybe, maybe, maybe I should just laundry list the international right, stuff that I've been saving up. Cue the laundry list music. I know we don't have laundry list music. But cue the laundry list. It is time for the laundry list. Belarus, Belarus, which supposedly 80% of their population voted to keep Lukashenko in office, really, really is revolting. And the protests are growing. He was heckled at a factory in Minsk. And there, there might actually, and, and Lukashenko is talking to Putin about maybe having Putin send his army in to preserve his power. That's something really to watch. The UAE, that's the United Arab Emirates, and Israel have entered into a, a detente, which they're going to exchange embassies, recognize there exists. The fascinating thing to watch here is what will the Saudi Arabia, what will the Saudis do? Israel has agreed to, quote, suspend, close quote, annexation. I wonder for how long. Hong Kong has put its elections over to 2021 and has knocked several candidates from off the right to run, using the COVID as an excuse, but really because she was about to lose an election. Arctic fire. Once again this year, last year they were hoping was a one-off. Arctic fires, especially in Siberia, are back, and experts are saying we may be 30 years early in the destruction of forests and the release of methane from the permafrost in north of the Arctic Circle. The Germany, far, the 
far right in Germany is infiltrating, infiltrating mainstream organizations, something to keep their eye on. And about a quarter of Bangladesh in the last several days has been underwater, flooding, just horrible in Bangladesh. That's, and I, I, could, I have a longer, long, long list, but I also have a longer list for COVID. We ought to talk about COVID. Burks says it is extraordinarily widespread. An interesting thing that you may have missed, studies in Denmark, actually data reports from Denmark, Ireland, Calgary, Nashville, among other places, all report that the incidence of premature births way, way down. And nobody knows why that is. Is it because mothers are getting more rest? Is it because air pollution is less? Is is less? Is it because people staying home are avoiding other infections? But just a very interesting question to which there is not an answer. Oregon, Oregon now has more than twenty three thousand cases, and about three hundred and eighty seven deaths. But I, I compared that. I saw a report on Indiana. Indiana has one-third more population than Oregon. It, it, they have a little over 6 million, 6.5 million. We have over 4 million. So we have 387 deaths. Indiana has over 3,000 deaths. So I have to say, it seems like Oregon might be doing a pretty good job. The uh, uh, Medford Clinic, the Clinical Research Institute of Southern Oregon, is one of 90 uh, institutions, organizations that have been picked to tech test vaccines in the third site. They're, they're hoping to find 700 people who are willing to be given a shot with the vaccine to see if it works and if it Makes, does not make them sicker than is, is something to be watched for. The DDT reporting change, which we talked about, it was taking away the reporting from the CDC and putting it under Azar. These, they've signed a $10.2 million contract with a company called Tele-Tracking Technologies, to do the gathering of data and the reporting. And when Congress asked for a copy of the contract, teletracking technology said, oh, we can't give you a copy of the contract because there's a non-disclosure agreement with the federal government. You talk about an example of the swamp. Where are you going to find a better example of the swamp than that. And there are lots of uh, reports that one of the things COVID is doing is seriously expanding the wealth gap in this country. And Eco Northwest, our local company, predicts that the recovery in Oregon is going to take at least until 2024. And that's assuming we do in the next few months finally get a handle on COVID in this country. If we don't, 
It's going to be after that. On the last thing on COVID I would mention, DDT decided that he had to have a doctor who would dance to his tune. So he's appointed a doctor through the COVID tax force, force, Mr. Dr. Atlas, who has no expertise in immunology, but uh, who is willing to say what DDT wants him to so that he doesn't have to bring out either Fauci or Burks. Let's start actually with COVID news that connects with something that you said. We have 252 new cases of coronavirus. We've now reached over 23,000 cases and 388 deaths. Uh, Murray Highland Memory Care in Beaverton has now experienced an outbreak of the virus. 28 of 40 uh, staff and residents have tested positive. Uh, the, uh, so the residents have been moved to separate care facilities, which have capacity to care for COVID-positive patients. Uh, that also, the New York Times came out at, with, the, with the data of how many more deaths there are than usual. And it looks like they're now, whatever number you see as the COVID number, we're heading towards 170,000 now. It's over 170,000 now, but the number of excess deaths is well over 200. And it looks like, and it, so it looks like that number is about 60,000 higher, about 60,000 higher than the recorded number. So now if you just figure, add 60,000 as this number goes up, just continue to add 60,000 or a little bit more because presumably the uh, the uncharted the recorded deaths will not stop. There'll be some number more that when will, what is it going to take? Will it ever happen for there to be a national agreement of this tragedy, a time when not just 60% of the people, not just 70% of the people, but 90% of the people acknowledge this for what it is and we'll have a chance to grieve together. Or yes, I hope we have a chance to wear masks together and stop this thing together and you know, root for a vaccine together and beat it together. But even just grieving together, what is it gonna take for, this, for us to acknowledge what a national tragedy that this has been? Well, it's certainly, for starters, it's going to have to start with a change in who's in the White House, and I think a change in who's in some of the governor's mansions so that there is a recognition from the top. But I'm afraid that it may take something that ain't going to happen in my lifetime, and that is the end of this horrible organization known as Fox News, which goes on every single day spewing hate and spewing lies and praising the president for spewing hate and praising the president for spewing lies, which reminds me, I just, I don't know if you caught at one of the president's quote, information close quote things supposedly on COVID, which actually are just things that he's using as campaign appearances in the White House. I don't know if his if SV is date or date, however he pronounces his name, a reporter for Huffington Post asked him, do you have any regrets for the thousands of lies that you have told? He, he said later he'd been asking for the, looking for the opportunity to ask that question for months. The president ignored 
and nobody else in the room had the courage to say, you didn't answer that question, Mr. President. But the news for that story was that CNN, MSNBC, CBS, ABC, none of them reported on that. I had to wait for a little article in The Guardian to even tell the story of that being asked, which is very discouraging to me. And until you get some courage, some courage out there, I'm, I'm not sure it's ever going to happen. Yeah, I'm looking at it now. One, uh, we know now because it was a Vanity Fair article, right, that uh, that went through and, and uh, Jared Kushner's recommendation and the discussions within the White House that the move in the early days was based on the analysis that this was going to hurt states and cities more, and therefore, in order to shield Trump from blame, he should put the onus on governors and to a more local degree mayors to deal with it, and therefore not have to accept responsibility, and in fact, push off responsibility on people who do not support him, on elected leaders who do not support his reelection bid. This, this is, and let me just say, and that you use this word, use this word, and I don't like to use the word because I think you use the word too much. Uh, but I am prepared, and, and the reason I think you use the word too much is because I want to reserve it for very specific conduct, you, very you, narrow you, range of conduct. You're about to use the E word. I'm about to use the word E word. The, if you want to, if you think that there are times, and very often, you know, decisions aren't aren't easy to put in good and evil boxes. You're picking betwixt interests. You're trying to figure out safety uh, trade-offs of safety versus freedom, prosperity versus equality. There's all kinds of trade-offs happen all the time. Tradition versus innovation, tradition versus fairness, all sorts of trade-offs that happen all the time, debates where reasonable people can debate. But if any of our listeners are ever in a hall of power, are ever in a context where you're making a recommendation of what's going to happen, and it comes up, hey, there's, there's this thing that's going to put a lot of people at risk. If your first consideration, if one of your important considerations is the power analysis, and in doing so, if you lie, if you lie in order to uh, shield yourself and shield your team, and then lie not about, you know, not about, people lie all the time. Politicians, other people lie all the time. But if you have a coordinated, concerted, consistent, dishonest campaign about something approaching this magnitude, and you do it because you want to make sure you can put the blame on a political opponent, and then people die, if there is a definition of political evil, if there is such a phrase that could exist, it is hard for me to see how this conduct does not fit within that definition. It is, it is about as bad as you can get, about as bad of motives, about as bad as thinking, about as bad as results as you can possibly get. It's a big, big deal. And now, of course, I'm looking at it now in the New York Times graphs, whereas in the Northeast, all the spiking was indeed happening like in April and May. Now, where you're seeing the increases is in the South, is in fact in red places, is in fact in states like Utah and Nevada and Idaho and Arizona. And Indiana. That's where, they're 
and 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 Texas is a big one. South Carolina and Mississippi and Florida, uh, states that didn't vote for Hillary Clinton, states that do watch Fox News and receive this information that do hang on the words of the president. Uh, and and now that we've reached over 170,000 counted and well over 200,000 in excess deaths, this is one of the greatest mass tragedies in the history of our country. And so much, and here I am violating my own question or violating the precepts behind my own question, we treat it as a political argument, which we should, we should be treating it primarily in two ways. One, first, most importantly, is the public health crisis. Where we've got to all be together, no matter whether we agree on a woman's right to choose, whether we agree on same-sex marriage, whether we agree with what we should do about climate change, whether we agree on whether or not climate change exists, although I'll be saying the same thing about that one, I assume, someday soon, and whether we agree on marginal tax rates or whether you should have a chance to be in the upper echelons of the country, even if you weren't born in the upper echelons of the country. Whether or not we agree on all those things, we should be treating this united together as a public health crisis, and then we should also be mourning together, because we should not just be forgetting these people. We should not just be saying, oh, well, there's some bad stuff that happened. When we've been in World War, in World Wars, people's names would get put on plaques. Where are the plaques for the people who are being killed by something that was largely preventable for so many of them? This is a tragedy of epic proportions, and we need to have ways to grieve. And instead of grieving, what we have, it's coming out as anger. It's coming out as stress. It's coming out as anger. I mean, heck, people going after, you know, like, maybe Ellen Jenner should have a show. Maybe she shouldn't. But so much stress is being put out into the world. And I think part of what's going on in that stress is, is sadness, is misplaced grieving. And we're not having that grief together as a nation. Uh, well, should we talk about state and local? Let's do it. First, I just want to put out to our listeners, if you are an Oregon resident and you are thinking you will escape the heat by going to a recreation area, especially if you're going to a recreation area along the Clackamas River, do not park illegally because they are towing cars. You will have your car towed if you are parked illegally. That's just a service that you benefit from listening to KXRY this morning. The governor has joined the fight against allowing lenient, allowing a, a, what's the best word to say, a flouting of the statute, a flouting of the law ordered by a judge to on the, on the redistricting initiative, we've talked about that on this program before. I have described it as one of the best or worst, depending on your point of view, examples of judicial action pretending that the judge is a legislator. But uh, she, is, she is supporting the attorney general. She's, she is going to apparently file her own brief in support of the attorney general's appeal of that decision. Do you have any thoughts on that? Yeah, it, it, I, I know that they um, I know they had, a, they had a hearing late last week. I spoke to the uh, uh, to the proponents of the bill about uh, about that hearing. They hope to hear uh, this week uh, about 
about that challenge. People, I think, who listen to the program and who listen to the local uh, understand what's going on and what's at stake pretty well. Uh, the For proponents, what's at stake is Oregon setting an example. Oh, yeah, you know what? I do have a take. I now have my policy proposal, Dad. I don't have it fully fleshed out. I got it's a it's a it's almost a two thirds baked idea. It's at least a fifty eight percent baked idea about how I actually think that a state legislature should act with respect to this. Now I think a state should react to this because a challenge. So the argument in favor of it for good government folks, and I think you and I like to consider. I certainly like to consider myself a good government advocate. Work I've been working on issues related to democracy, voter access, campaign finance reform for heck of couple of decades the uh, uh, and the the challenge is the folks in favor including some wonderful people most of a lot of money coming from sort of corporate power realize that it's a chance to beat Democrats in the Oregon legislature uh, but advocates who say listen we should be doing it we should not have the line drawing done as a as primarily a political exercise done by the very people who are going to be impacted by that line drawing and they have an, they have an important argument counter-argument goes, well, there's some particular issues with this one. For instance, the second-place party gets as much influence in the line drawing as the first-place party, even if the second-place party has vastly different representation than the, than the first-place party. The other big criticism, and this is your criticism, is, uh, that, you know, I should just cue you for your criticism. Your criticism is this should be something that happens uh, nationally rather than locally, yes? Absolutely, because if you do it in, if you do it in the blue states, and you don't do it in the red states, you wind up with a much worse than what we already have. And, and why that matters is that right now, support for things like uh, democracy itself and like voter access, like most good government stuff, unfortunately, this was different 100 years ago. This was different 70 years ago, but really does split too far along political lines. When you had Eric Holder, the Democratic uh, had uh, you know Democratic Attorney General come out and push for redistricting reform. A lot of Democrats nodded their heads. Not a lot of red state people nodded their heads. That Eric Holder brought them up and said, "Do something about redistricting." I'm going to be so, interested. I'm going to be interested to hear what your proposal is because it strikes me that this might be a really good place for the lottery that you have proposed for legislators. So it's a. Uh, Anyway, so now, but if you do it, and the, the other the other challenge is where this is more likely to happen is in states with ballot initiative systems, and those states tend to be western states. So you do this state by state, it's not going to, uh, it, it, it's what our big objective is, and I think the big objective ought to be, is to have state and national governments that are representative, okay, that represent the people who they govern. That's the whole purpose of representative government, and we should evaluate our systems of line drawing, et cetera, and our systems of campaign finance, and our systems of voting on whether or not we are creating representative bodies, and we are not creating representative bodies. Ideologically, we have a country that is more big D Democrat than it is big R Republican, but nonetheless, that it is non-representative in the U.S. Senate to an extreme degree. It is non-representative in the House. It should be even a stronger Democratic majority in the House. It is not representative in the presidency. See electoral college. See multiple elections out of the last five, where uh, last six, where Democrats have won the, the uh, popular vote but lost electoral college. George W. Bush, Bush won, won that way, and uh, and Donald Trump won that way. It is, uh, 
we do not have a representative system. Now, what the challenge here is, proponents will say, this will help us have a more representative system in Oregon. Opponents will say, this could help lend to a less representative system nationwide, because we're going to have one more congressional seat. If if Democrats are drawing the lines, that's pretty good odds, I think. That's going to be another Democratic uh, congressional seat, U.S. House representative seat, which would help balance a little bit the uh, the unrepresentative congressional representation that's happening in Washington, D.C. Uh, if there is line drawing that is done uh, more randomly, uh, one could imagine that if we have six, uh, we have six uh, congressional seats, six House seats in Oregon, that, you know, it seems pretty likely that maybe four of those might be Democratic, maybe two of those would be Republican. Less likely you have five Democratic uh, seats and, and one Republican seat if you're not careful, very carefully drawing the line. Uh, and, and and so I hear that argument. Here's what I think. So yeah, actually, Dad, you're, you're right. My proposal has two parts. So first of all, I do think that we should have uh, have it done, uh, have a panel created by sortition, uh, created by lottery, uh, if you're going to have a panel. But the bigger piece is learning what we're doing with electoral college reform. Uh, the, uh, the funding leader was a friend of mine for the redistricting reform, he didn't just go out over to Blue State and say, okay, why don't you commit to pledging your delegates to whomever wins the popular vote, even if that's not the person you voted for, which is what the, which is what's, ha- which is what's happening. Instead, they created a compact. Instead, they said, okay, well, Oregon will do that, California will do that, the other states will do that, but it will only matter, only count when, in fact, there is a uh, – it will only count when, it, when there is, in fact, a majority of electoral college votes so that we don't act in some way that would be counter to the interests of our state. I think the idea here would also to be create some version of an electoral compact where Oregon will do redistricting reform in a way that we would propose it happen nationally. And that happened either in concert nationally or when there is a red state that does it at the same time, or, you know, roughly similar size, or when there's a certain critical mass. And this is why I say it's only two-thirds baked, not, not fully baked, because you'd have to figure out that mechanism, right? Do you do it when every state's done it? Do you do it when one state similarly situated has done it? Uh, do you do it when a certain segment of states have done it? But you do an interstate compact, kind of like with the Electoral College, so then you can make sure that we have alignment betwixt our interests of having representative democracy in Oregon and representative democracy nationwide. That's what I have to say about that. But, Dad, it's, it, we've got to get to our interview in a second. I need to get the signal from Joey as to whether or not she's on. She is here now. Joey, should we then start our interview? He is saying yes. <laughs> so, Ms. Adams, are you with us? Uh, yes, I am. Hi. Now, the first thing we've got to do... It's Camila Adams. Is we've Camila got to, Adams, thank we, you so we, much for joining us. We, we've got to nail down the correct pronunciation of your first up. name. <laughs> so tell us how your first name is to be pronounced. And this is particularly important because you now have a name that is very, very close to the same name as a somewhat more pop, more... Uh, well-known figure. So what is the correct pronunciation? (laughs) I have been called Kamala a lot. Yeah, Kamala. And even someone made the mistake and um, wrote my last name as Harris. So 
<laughs> I, I, I'll bet that that will happen often. Okay, you say, you say a lot of people pronounce it Camilla. What is your preference? It's Camilla. Camilla, okay. Now I want to ask, before we dive into why we are so delighted to have you with us, I, I just did, did a little research as to what your name means, where it comes from, and where Kamala Harris's name comes from, and the, the, the addition of the H is apparently very significant, but what is your understanding as to what your name means and where it comes from? Um, well, my father named me, and it comes from, it, it could either come from Hawaii or uh, parts of Africa, and it means like beautiful princess, and there's a couple other meanings. So it depends on what um, region. The African meaning, I understand, is glory, which sounds like a really, really neat name to have. Yes. Uh, Kamala Harris's name apparently comes from possibly the Hindi rose red or garden uh, or from Arabic perfection. Yeah. H is very important. Okay, so, we, so we've got it. So we're going to say Camila. Yeah, now, you. would you please tell us how you had, tell us about Mimi's and the wonderful thing that it is doing in spreading a necessary word by the use of T-shirts. Well, I started Mimi's Fresh Teas about two and a half years ago, um, and I just wanted to give customers a way to express the way they're feeling about social injustice uh, by wearing a T-shirt. And my main goal was to um, just to start a conversation, and it's working for sure. That is working for sure. And what what has the all the stuff going on the last seven months, particularly since Floyd George, what has that done to your to your business and to the what you're putting on your T-shirts? Well, you know, a lot of people don't know, but I was going to close my T-shirt business. I want to say about March or April, and because uh, I wasn't making any sales, and then. George, the incident with George Floyd hit, and a lot of people started wearing my Make Racism Wrong Again shirts to uh, just local protests, and it just, my sales increased from there. I didn't have to close my business, so that's Tell us, what are some of the the things that you have on the t-shirts? My number one seller, my two big top sellers are unity and it says unity in the middle and then in the fifth it has like fairness equality justice and make racism wrong again is my other um shirt that is coming in at number two right now i'm looking at it right now uh the unity shirt is is the it's a fish shirt right with a unity in the middle of the uh, in the middle of the clenched hand yes it's beautiful and make racism wrong again. I think we recognize the multiple meanings of that, the, the cultural references there. I'm, I'm looking at these well-behaved women rarely make history. Also, racism is the is the pandemic. Uh, I see these. Thank you so much. Uh, thank you so much for being here. So you were saying that you were thinking before, just before COVID went down, you were thinking about wrapping this thing up. Yeah, I was. I was like, well, if I'm not making any money. Yeah. No point in 
they say if you don't make money in two years, it's a hobby. So. <laughs> and then and and then you just you just kept on squeaking through, and then all of a sudden history was asking you a question. Until all of a sudden there was a, such a clear need uh, for uh, and such a clear desire among people to be able to share some version of of how they were feeling. You helped them share some version they were feeling, and they could even they could even express that while wearing a mask. Absolutely. Yep. What what what's your manufacturing process? Obviously, you have to get a shirt, and you have to get the shirt printed. How, yeah, so how? I have to get um, I screen print locally, and one of my screen pr- printers is a Walmadon screen printer, which I was so excited to find her. Um, and we and she pretty they order all the blanks for me, which is it's been kind of a challenge, you know, due to COVID. We can't, um, we don't receive uh, fast shipping like we used to, but it's okay. A lot of customers are uh, willing to wait, but I get everything is screen printed locally. Wow! And you you start out. I I assume you have many different colors for the shirts. Yeah, I have many different colors. Some of the a lot of the like the blue make racism wrong again. That garment usually comes from California or Florida, so it just takes a while. To for us to receive the blanks, but what we do, we just um, we just get as many shirts off as as we can. Well, that's that's just marvelous. And obviously, do I assume correctly? Well, I shouldn't assume anything. Who do you rely on to do your shipping? Who do you ship? I with? use um, I usually drop my stuff off at a local postal annex. Yes. Yep. Yes. <laughs> yes, the post like, office. I I am so glad I asked that question. Yes, but and they know me in there. I'm just like I'll be back later to pay. It's just it's great to provide business to a local post office. Um, and but I do all my shipping labels as well. So I just drop it off and pay them a small fee for sh- uh, shipping my our items out. Oh, wow. Have you heard from Have you heard from customers? about sort of the impact about why about why they wanted to get the t-shirts or how they liked it, about why they want to connect a t-shirt right I mean, what the shirt i'm wearing right now is blank but i have been known to wear a t-shirt with a message before have you heard from you get any feedback from any of your customers yeah they you know they it's been a, people have been really supportive and just um encouraging me and just keep doing what you're doing we love our teas they're buying teas for their babies and their toddlers, and it's just, it's just, I'm, I'm so happy I didn't close my business because it's, it's what feeds my soul is being able to provide just a simple message uh, for the community. Well, that tells me that answer tells me that you have many sizes. If you have for toddlers as well, how many sizes do you offer? Well, I just introduced uh, onesies and toddler sizes. Just I did a test run. And it was really successful. So um, for my fall line that's launching next month, I'm going to have a lot more toddler and um, in onesies available for uh, people. So that's exciting. Say, say again what, the, what your two most important, most successful ones or the most popular ones have been. Uh, Make Racism Wrong Again and the Unity Race Fist T. That's wonderful. Now, listeners, 
listeners, get your pen or pencil ready because I am about to ask Camila to provide the phone number and the email that you can go to to order. So I just go to the website. Come I in. Guess is, you, I guess is yeah. Go, go to the, the website. website so, I'm looking at right now, which is Mimi's Fresh Teas PDX dot uh, You got to say it much much slower so people have a chance <laughs> to write it. So very slowly, one of you. I don't care which one of you say it very slowly. Mimi's Fresh Teas PDX Mimi's Fresh Teas PDX dot com. We're talking to Camila Adams, the owner of online apparel brand Mimi's Fresh Teas. Uh, by the way, are you the Mimi and Mimi's Fresh Teas? Uh, that's me. <laughs> of course you are. So, uh, so Camila was looking at potentially shutting the business down this spring. Thankfully, she didn't because all of a sudden, having a BIPOC-owned, locally made, locally sourced T-shirt brand with social justice messages all of a sudden struck a chord, uh, it, tragically, but also inspiringly so, uh, later this spring, earlier this summer. Uh, and now, and we really appreciate you spending the time with us. In July, though, this took a bit of a turn. Uh, that The reaction to this, one of the things that, that we have, we've been trying to work in allyship, uh, have, been, have been recognizing with Zoom bombing, et cetera, is that acting with a social justice message is requiring some courage because it is not always happening without some pushback. It is not always happening without some reply, some invective, some uh, direct racism in response. And as I understand it, in July, you received a threatening and racist letter. Do I have that right? Yes, that is correct. I was horrified. I received it to my home address. Which was terrifying. Oh wow! Which meant that the and, sender and knew without that. re-triggering yourself or triggering others, what was the nature of the letter? And feel free to say whatever you know, offer whatever detail, leave out whatever detail you want. But what was the nature of the letter? You know, I can't even repeat some of just the racial slurs that were in that letter yeah. on the radio. I still have yeah. it up on my Instagram page, though. If anyone wants to go to Mimi's Fresh Teas on Instagram, you can view the. Uh, the hate letter that I received in July. Um, but, you know, there is still a pending investigation and, um, and it seems like they are handling it very well. So that's all I can really say about it. But I was, I couldn't believe the hate and the evil in that letter that I received. You know, my kids were at home as well when I received it. It was, it was frightening. Were, were was, you able to determine, or has it been determined, what what geographical area it came from? Yeah, I don't know. I'm not sure. So it, it, it could have so been. And it was made out to you. It was made out to business or made out to you personally? It was made out to me, and then there was also reference of my business in there, talking about it's going to rename my business to... You know, something very, something horrible, horrible, and something racist, and yeah. and and so you get this letter at your home. 
You open it up, you see this thing, it's full of racial slurs, tell you to rename your business some racial slur, and then, and then the next, first of all, I apologize, you had to go through that. That is awful. Thank you. Uh, and second of all, you do what? You call the police and say, what's going on with this? What, what's the step you take when you get a letter, when, when that sort of thing happens? Well, the first thing I uh, wanted to do was make sure that me and my kids were safe because I, I took it very seriously. I was a threat on my life and my daughter's life. So I immediately called a friend and then I called the police and we had to leave our home. Oh, wow. My goodness. My goodness. And, and so you did You did leave your home? You, you said that somebody sent us stuff at home? Because they didn't send it to the, I mean, presumably the address they sent it to isn't the address that if I go to Mimi's Fresh Teas PDX.com and order a t-shirt, presumably the address they sent a letter to is not the letter, is not the address of the of the business, right? Correct. Yes, uh, they sent it to my home address, which, and I I Google my name, and lo and behold, there was my home address. So I'm working to re- make sure that everything is is you know private, and I would encourage anyone to do that because that people's home addresses are in on Google, and I just don't I don't know. It's a it's a safety issue for all of us, but especially when you have a social justice business. I feel like now I'm a big target, and I just have to be cautious in private. And so you, and so after this, you decided that you needed to leave the house. You need, you need to take your family and get out of there because you didn't feel safe staying. Yes, um, my kids didn't feel safe. I didn't feel safe, and we left our home. And so now we won't, we won't ask obviously for you know your location now or anything like that. But any other steps that you felt, and the other thing you wanted to do start making so your online presence did not pinpoint you geographically where you were home sleeping. I can understand that. Any other steps that this has led you to take? Well, yeah, I, you know, I would do like local drop-offs and I would meet customers and now I'm a little reluctant to do that. So just as a safety measure, I just ship everything possible. And um, my business address of, you know, where we ship everything is separate from our home address now. So we just, I'm just very mindful of um, sharing that information and also sharing my location. Well, Camila, your, your story is just a real inspiration to me because it is, it is such a wonderful example of someone turning out to do well by doing good and you started out doing good and now you're also doing well and we're so glad for that and thanks so much for being with us this morning well hold it Dad. I, I, if you're trying to wrap it up i still got another question oh, go for what it. is uh, um and we got this question how is this if it has and it might assume something that is, but how has this incident changed how you see your work all of a sudden you're doing this it gets you it gets some backlash does that mean you know one one really mean threatening horrible letter does that does that make you does that give you pause? Does that give you greater inspiration and resolve? How does this impact how you think about your work? Well, I have to be honest. I wasn't a, just I just wanted to quit and just crawl under a rock because I couldn't believe this was happening in 2020. Like I would, anyone would receive this letter, and I, but my daughter and friends said, "No, you cannot stop. You have to keep going." 
so, but the love that I received from the community, friends and family, outweighs the hate. So it has really inspired me, and that is why I'm coming out with a new fall line. Oh, with more powerful messages. So I'm not done. When there's a, when there's a racist letter, respond with a new fall line. What's going to be? You feel free to plug the new fall line. What's going to be in the new fall line? Just more um, social justice shirts about equality and, and, and making sure that you know we we were having these conversations about racial injustice in America and just all injustices, right? I figure if you start with racism, everything falls after that. So if people aren't treated well because of their skin color. They're not treated well because of their sexuality, if because they're a woman. So it all it's all intertwined. Well, Camila Adams, again, the owner of online apparel brand Mimi's Fresh Tees. If you've seen the Unite uh, t-shirts around town, uh, that's because of Mimi's Fresh Tees. If you've seen the Make Racism Wrong Again uh, t-shirt around town, that's because of Mimi's Fresh Tees. And Camila Adams is the Mimi in Mimi's Fresh Tees. I'll, I'll pile on to just say thank you so much for being part of our community. Thanks so much for joining us in this conversation and showing how, uh, how some positive, uh, you know, some positive flowers can grow amidst uh, cracked and challenged concrete, and how the uh, and how to show resolve in the midst of invective. And we really appreciate you spending time with us this morning. And also, thank say, you. Say thanks thank to you. Megan Burns for for putting us together. Yes, thank you. Well, Pop, you are. I, I guess instead of taking a break, you should go quick. To uh, there's a couple things we got to get to. You and I hadn't mentioned because we were on, we were not doing the show. There was a city council election, and Loretta Smith was defeated by well, narrow, defeated narrowly by Dan Ryan. Uh, I am uh, I, I must acknowledge during this moment in history, uh, I, you know, I, I very much enjoyed interviewing both candidates. Uh, both of them were excellent, uh, both excellent candidates. I have said I don't think Loretta Smith received a fair shake in the media. Uh, and the uh, uh, and I think that her experience was underappreciated uh, from where it would have been if she had been a black woman. And the uh, and I and I worry that years from now we look back at this time in history and realize that we had a chance to uh, to elect uh, an experienced black woman to the city council. That we may there may be some some regret. I'm hoping that that regret will be outpaced by the talent and ability of Dan Ryan and the and hopefully that we will uh, that the city will be glad for its choice and for the composition of uh, the composition of the city council I'm also hopeful that Smith will be able to continue to show leadership and service in our community uh, I was I, I emerged from this election a fan of both people uh, and uh, any, any la- and obviously Joanne Hardesty played a really important role in Dan Ryan's election. She was the featured, uh, a featured person in his most important TV ad. But that, any, any quick thoughts on the city council election or I, on I, the I, special I, session of legislature that happened last week? I, I think it's worth noting on this subject that 
Dan Ryan also comes from an historically prejudice-receiving cultural group. The third, the third LGBTQIA, LGBTQIA, excuse me, plus member of the uh, of the city council, and I believe the first HIV-positive member of the city council. Uh, And ultimately, we hope that people will be judged on uh, judged on their merits and judged on their ability to serve. Uh, serve the community uh, and and his uh, and his habits around convening, uh, I think, could, were were served him well in the uh, in the campaign. His reputation for that served him well in the campaign, and hopefully, it will serve him well and serve the city well while he serves in city council. A couple of other local things that I just think are worth mentioning: Metro, which is wanting to submit a fairly significant tax proposal to voters has apparently reached out to business to say, if you will agree to stay out of it, we will lower the amount we're asking for. Keep our eye on that. The Oregonian has run a a big story on the Forest Resources Institute, which is a taxpayer-paid, supposedly educational organization that apparently has turned out to be just a shill for timber companies. And the legislature ought to take a hard look at that. And speaking about the legislature, there was indeed a special session, which was remarkable in how much they were able to do, even though the hard feelings that that uh, some people foster for it. And you as a m- more recent member of the legislature than I, what are your thoughts about it? It was hard for me to hear you there, Pop. My thoughts on which thing? Well, I was asking for your take on the legislative session. Yeah, you know what? Let's let's get into that. We've got a minute left, and you got to do your straw on the wind. Uh, there was, I think, it was work. There's work undone on police on police accountability, including uh, there was no movement on uh, or or even hearing or discussion, uh, further hearing or discussion. There was initial hearing on uh, on changing qualified immunity. So we'll want to get into that. And then there's the big thing that's happening right here in Portland. Uh, which is now the campaign has begun. The referral has happened for independent police review. Big vote happening in November. Joanne Hardesty's proposal. We'll talk more about that. And that I think, and we should make clear, the head of Portland Postal Unit is now claiming the Postal Service is slowing down their services, uh, and we should let folks know that. But Dad, I think it is time for a straw in the wind. Straw in the wind. I have two straws straw in the wind. In the wind. First, Walmart. And Target, or Target, have decided not to be open on Thanksgiving. Whoa, that's a straw in the wind. And the Girl Scouts have chosen Judith Batty as their CEO. Why is that a straw in the wind? Because Judith Batty is a black American. Well, Dad, we did it one more time. I want to say thanks to Joey and to Brian and to Emily and to Sam Smargiasi and to Carly Quattos and the whole crew. Thank you also to uh, Camila Adams, the owner of Mimi's Fresh Teas. Thanks also to each and every X-Ray member. Pop, one more time. We'll be back on Thursday. Love you. Love you, Dad.